The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. Again, thank you, Andres and Richard, for your moving reflections, and Andres and Stephanie for your lovely music. I was deeply moved by Richard's tribute to his friend, Ron. True friendship is indeed grounded in a promise of mutual support through all the phases of life, in joy and in sorrow, unto death, even if not stated formally in covenantal language. Likewise, I am moved by Andres's reflection, by its humility and good advice and warmth and humor. Later this month, our congregation will be writing and adopting a new covenant specific to our own needs and concerns. A covenant is a formal promise that people make to guide how they relate to one another by exploring, drafting, and then agreeing to certain words, and by repeating and revisiting them often, we are reminded to keep our promises and to repair damage when we fail to do so. A covenant is not a weapon we should use to enforce conformity or a superficial acknowledgement of how we'd like others to behave, but a mutual promise from each of our hearts to do and keep on doing what we believe is right and good. Marriage vows are a common example of a covenant. You may ask then, if covenants are so desirable and necessary to get us to keep our promises, then why do so many marriages fail? We say these usually generic and formulaic words about in sickness and in health till death do us part, or maybe we write our own vows, and in most cases, sincerely believing them in the moment. But some years later, they may no longer make sense to us. We must break our vows and move on, sometimes mutually and amicably, but sadly often not. Now, my brother and sister-in-law have defied the odds to have a long and successful marriage. They joke that at the end of each year, they go out to dinner to renegotiate their contract. I doubt they sit down to bargain and edit a formal written agreement, but they certainly do go out to dinner and talk about it. I like this concept. Needs and circumstances change in all relationships. If we are stuck with a promise that no longer speaks from our hearts, as I myself have experienced recently, then maybe that promise needs updating or even ending. As a congregation, I hope we revisit our new covenant regularly so that it remains a promise from the heart. In our denomination today, 
there is a movement to change our written principles and sources. Now, I love the current principles and sources. I love the poetic language in which they were written, the open, positive, and inspirational tone, stated as if we already believe them wholeheartedly, are truly committed to carrying them out, and don't need to be reminded or shamed into doing so. They still speak to me as a promise from the heart. And I sincerely believe that if we lived them full out, we would need no changes or additions. Yet, I also understand the desire to change them. Like many marriage vows, their genuinely moving words have become for many a stale formula we recite by rote, a litany without much thought or deeper commitment, words without flesh, like a religious pledge of allegiance. We look at our own internal problems and those of our broader society and recognize that these words have not carried us as far as we would like. But words alone do not have flesh, no matter how well written. Whatever language we adopt in the future, it remains our job to enflesh and embody it. The role of a covenant is to remind us to make our promises a force of habit, something we do as routinely as brushing our teeth in the morning. Yet, paradoxically, habits and routines, almost by definition, become things hard to change, even when they no longer meet our needs. My brother and sister-in-law are right to review and adjust their promises regularly because their needs change over time, and they need to think through what they believe and want now. What are their hearts saying in this moment, as opposed to the first time they pledged a lifelong commitment? Even if, after review, they end up changing nothing since last year, the old vows are refreshed and renewed, fully present, once again becoming a promise of the heart. And with that in mind, I have a caution about both our new covenant and the denominational debate. It's this. May whatever language we adopt truly be a promise from the heart that each of us makes freely and mutually. May we have the courage to speak up if we catch ourselves about to make a promise that is not from the heart. As I look back over my own life, there are promises I have not kept and ones that I have. The promises I failed to keep were those that were not or ceased to be aligned with my heart. 
those relationships I entered for opportunistic reasons to gain practical benefits I was failing to achieve on my own, convincing myself in the moment that I was acting from love, not neediness. The organizations and individuals I committed to sincerely for the right reasons, but then failed to speak up when circumstances required adjustments or changing needs arose, creating resentment on all sides that eventually led to a breaking point. The promises I made with such dogmatic zeal that they crumbled in the harsh light of reality. The promises I made only to avoid conflict or to look worthy to others of the love and respect I craved, knowing full well those promises were not coming from my heart. Now, there are times when it is not wise to be fully honest, transparent, or committed. In fact, the ability to get away with doing so is often an unearned privilege. Defy your boss and you can get fired, for example, and your family can end up on the street, while someone else might afford that risk without breaking any promises to support their loved ones. But that's not what I'm talking about. We all say things we don't believe and make promises we have no desire or intention to keep on occasion. And that may be fully justified if it keeps a roof over your children's heads. Your promise to them is more important. That's the promise from your heart, the promise you will keep, no matter how much moral angst it may cause. The promises I have kept were those grounded in love and in my deepest beliefs such as love for my children and my faith in the positive and necessary role of the working class in creating lasting liberation. Covenant, as Andres mentioned, does not always mean we get it right. We aren't perfect. Limited by my own traumas and misdiagnosed mental health challenges, I was not the greatest parent, but I kept trying and became a far better parent to my second child than my first, doggedly determined to create a better life for them than the one I had had thus far. I went through many betrayals in my work in the hard left and the labor movement, some worsened by my lack of effectively nuanced social skills and lack of self-esteem, as well as by sexism and ableism, but I never gave up, and now I finally have a job doing what I could only have dreamed of doing 50 years ago. To conclude then, let's take this business of creating covenants seriously and even cautiously. Let's give each other the grace to disagree, to speak up and debate over language without seeing each other as living in enemy camps. 
Let's make promises we can believe in deeply enough to work hard on keeping. Let's make promises from the heart, living, breathing promises with bones and flesh and spirit, promises that can grow and shift and mature, promises that even though they will age and die, have also given birth, nurturing their descendants. Thank you. When I reflected on the theme of this service, covenant, I also thought where and how covenants have shown up in my life, those promises I made to love, cherish, and preserve over the years. I couldn't help but reflect on my friend, Ronald Hugh Shear, who passed away recently. Like waves on an ocean, our acquaintance and friendship returned to me again and again over the years. Our expressed desire for continued connection representing a covenant between us. To me, friendship can be interpreted as a covenant in the sense that it involves implicit mutual commitments and understandings, even though they're not formally stated. For me, these include trust, support, respect, and loyalty, forming a bond that both parties honor and uphold through their actions and interactions. Ron was a designer of interiors, an interpreter of emotion through the tangible. Metal, wood, fabric, and glass bent, rolled out, stretched, and repurposed to reflect his and his clients' emotions, aspirations, dreams, and needs. He had the gift possessed by a few of turning emotion into tangible expression. Those gifts are epitomized by the soaring designs found in this sanctuary. Though he didn't design it, of course, I, I think of him when I encounter the beauty of our chancel, especially the soaring representation of spirit behind me, an amazing mix of metal, texture, and yes, emotion. That's what designers can do, and it's what Ron could do. I remember thinking back to a time before I had this perspective, how Ron's unflagging optimism about everything irritated me to no end. <laughs> how I exploded at him over something so trivial and only later learned that he'd been battling so much more than a client losing his temper. Patiently and inspirationally, Ron let our spare room speak to him, and then slowly over time, a vision of light, fabric, glass, and metal emerged. His vision reflected not only in his knowledge and friendship with Bill and me, but also his gift at translating feelings, impressions, and possibility into reality. A vision made real icy every day. Fabric, leather, and wood combined to create something restful, useful, and restorative. Rooms that welcome, inspire, and remind me of you every day, Ron. The last time we saw each other came two weeks ago at the Jewish home here in the city. We wound our way through quiet corridors to a room on the third floor, each room angled just so to ensure privacy 
but also access should the needs arise. Well, hello and sorry I can't get up, came the cheerful greeting. We laughed and chatted. His husband, Richard, came in and together we reflected on Ron's journey to that point, the twists and turns, the operations, and now the decisions. When we rose to leave, I knew we would not see each other again. This was not goodbye for now. And still, this was where we should be in this moment, our ending. And how wonderful that we were able to honor you, Ron, in this very space yesterday. You would have liked that. There's a small room in our home filled with a thousand stars, tiny crystals glued to the dark aubergine walls. Ron put them there one by one over many weeks by hand. Somehow they hold our time together as much as the wood, leather, metal, and fabric he brought into our lives. I celebrate those gifts every day and the covenant we shared. Thank you so much. And now let's welcome Andres Vera, who will offer us a reflection on covenant. It's our worship scene this January. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for having my beautiful colleague on the violin, Stephanie, and thank you for your kind words, as both of you as well. Um, when I When I thought about the theme of the month, covenant and promises of the heart, I found it important to think about uh, my own deep commitments. And I thought that I would share three of them that I think uh, we all share together. And although I will uh, preface that with the fact that I'm not perfect, and I don't think anyone is, and uh, we all make mistakes. And so I think it's, uh, but these are good guides. These are my three guides uh, that I have for myself. So um, the first, first one is uh, trust myself and work to verify my thoughts and feelings. And if I don't know, I know it's okay to say I don't know. I'm really fascinated by the whole concept of trusting your gut. Um, you're posed with a, a conundrum and then you feel something dull, like some dull pressure inside of your stomach and then that's your answer. Um, a leap of faith. <laughs> and according to the Harvard Business Review, uh, gut instincts are the sum total of those experiences. Millions and millions and millions of them. So all in all, I promise to cherish as much as I can every experience so that I can trust myself and my gut more. Two, praise others generously and for any reason. This is really difficult for me. Um, my father passed away two years ago and I'm pretty sure um, his depression played a huge role in his death. He wasn't perfect by any means, um, but he had some really, really great qualities uh, that make me miss him a lot. 
So my father always praised me. He was jovial, always welcoming, talked to strangers, joked around, asked people's names if he didn't remember, and really, really praised others generously, very, very generously. My only regret was that I felt we didn't praise him enough for those good qualities he did have. So all in all, we can all sense that many parts of our communities are missing that for any reason, praise and celebration. And then lastly, that was harder to say than I thought it would be. <laughs> um, empathize and sympathize often. We affect each other, excuse me, we affect each other in more ways than we can imagine, positively and negatively. I feel it's important to feel the pain or joy of anyone who's in my presence or for you, it'd be anyone who's in your presence, make sure you feel their pain. For me, I really try to do that personally. To be thankful for the animals that suffer for us to eat, to live, and uh, finally to live life, live the entire life of a stranger you walked by on the street and who you'll probably never see again. Thank you. <laughs>